turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I hope you had a good week. If not, if it was trying, frustrating, I don't know, hurtful, painful, I'm glad that you're here today. We've really been focusing on the best year ever, and so all the shows that we've been doing since January have been really focusing on how to have a really good year, in spite of difficulties, in spite of hardship, maybe being misunderstood, misperceived, hurt, all those things that we really don't like to experience, that a lot of these shows are really geared to help build that foundation of how to have an ongoing, really good year with good continuity, even in the midst of hardships that that are going on. So that at the end of this year, you're going to look at this overall year and say, you know, it really turned out pretty good. And I learned some really good things. And I worked through some really important things. And I'm building my life so that next year will be even better. So always remember, better does not mean perfect, and better does not always mean happy. Better just simply means we're growing, that we're becoming more of what God has called us to be, designed us to be, and that we are having the impact on his world that actually helps him really further his kingdom. So today I wanted to really focus on building your house on the rock, on a solid foundation. Because last week and the week before, we really talked a lot about this undoing your past. And when I mean undo it, I don't mean that you redo it. What we really focused on was what can I learn from it? How can I make a bad thing a good thing? How can I turn it around? How can I have a great comeback? And have people be very proud of me and, and really look up to me and have respect for me, not because I never make mistakes, but because of how I handle those mistakes and what I do with it. And so now that we've kind of dug ourselves out of the pit, right, we're going to really talk about solid ground. So we're going to start from this day forward as we have really worked through the past and let the past stay in the past because I'm frequently telling my patients, if the past is always in your present, then your present then begins to develop and dictate your future. So if your past isn't dead, your past continues to create a future for you that isn't good for you. So this is why it's so important that we say, you know, the past is always for retrospect. The past is never for self-abuse. It is only to learn from. That's why we can remember the past. So what does it mean 
But a wise man built his house upon a rock. Well, let's look at the passage in Matthew. This is chapter 7, and it's verse 24 through 27. And I chose the Message Bible as um, the interpretation. I really like how the Message Bible uh, lays things out and makes it a little bit more current so that we see it in today's time. And so this says, These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. So this is what the apostle is saying. These words I'm talking to you are not just these incidental things that you add to your life. Or like a homeowner, you're doing these little improvements to your standard of living. He says they are foundational words. Words to build a life on. And if you work these words into your life, you will look like a smart carpenter who built his house on a solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't really work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed the house like a house of cards. So I want you to think about this. We all have foundations. How sure is your foundation? And I say to clients frequently, you know, you, you, you have a big life. And so if you build a one-story house, how deep does the foundation have to go for a one-story house? But if you're building a 65-floor skyscraper, how deep does that do those foundational things need to go? And my husband was telling me, he's an architect, he was telling me about something that's happening now on the East Coast They have this huge, huge skyscraper that's now tilting eight inches, and it's about 60 stories. And they had to evacuate everybody out of it. Now they're letting everybody go back in, and things will roll on the floor. They'll roll down to the the other side of the house because this huge skyscraper is leaning. Because when they built it, they did not have the pylons go all the way down to bedrock. And now what are they going to do? What are they going to do with a 60-foot skyscraper that's leaning and is going to continue to lean? And eventually, what, fall over and collapse? So this is what I want you to think about. This is why this is so poignant. Thousands of years ago, this was spoken, saying, you need to work these words of life, these words that I'm telling you, into your life. Don't be a stupid carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach with no foundation. So the bigger your life the deeper the foundation needs to go in order to support your life so that you don't collapse, right? So you don't have a sinkhole in your life. So when we look at this, we recognize that this story of the wise man who built his house upon a rock, it's found, again, in Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27, and it is one of the parables that Jesus spoke of. And this was during his Sermon on the Mount when he was talking about these, these two different men who had built their house, one on the rock, one on the sand. And so the meaning of the parable we know is quite obvious. Proper foundations are necessary, especially with a literal house, right? It's unwise to build on the sand. The house will be unsteady, and you will eventually suffer all kinds of damage. So this wastes resources, all the time and effort put into building the house in the first place is going to be for nothing. So in contrast, it's the wise person 
whose life is on a sure foundation, anchoring to bedrock, which makes that building withstand the test of time. Whatever comes, that building will stand. And we have some buildings that have been around for centuries because they were built so well. So think about this. This sermon that Jesus was talking about was not just concerned with the construction or the building code violations, right? This analogy that Jesus was using was not just about aesthetics. It wasn't just about living within the law. Like, you know, I'm going to, okay, I'll do it half-heartedly. I will make the bare minimum, you know, additions and, and different construction things to my house just so that the building, you know, code will be fulfilled. So I'm just going to get, I'm going to do right up to the line, but I'm not going to do any better. So Jesus' sermon is talking about bedrock. He's not talking about just live within the law a little bit because it will break you. And so everyone who hears these words, Jesus is saying, and puts them into practice as a wise man. So the proper foundation for a life in Jesus is words, not just hearing them, but doing them as well. So it seems at times, I know, that everything in the world is set up to make us turn away from God's words. I mean, and I I can understand why sometimes it's tough to have this dual existence, that we're in the world, we're not wanting to be of the world. And so often, you know, our own feelings pull us toward doing the exact opposite of what the Bible says. So I want no one to be condemning themselves. I don't, we never are doing any of this education and you doing any introspection to beat yourself up. It really is to learn because wise people learn. The better learner I am, the less often I have to be exposed to lessons. The more I can extrapolate out of one life lesson to avoid having to learn another life lesson, the wiser I am. So the wise man will follow the words of God despite those pressures. And not as a way to like, I don't know, show off or be like a hyper-spiritual or to earn his salvation. But he's doing this because he trusts in God. He trusts the mighty, the great architect of the universe that has put everything together down to the cellular level, to the atom, to the level of an atom. He knows every piece, every particle of the universe that we live in. Every single human, every rock, every pebble, every leaf, every animal, every insect, every drop of water, he knows to the cellular, to the level of an atom. So this is why you have to understand God knows you that well. So we want to really understand that when Jesus presented himself as the final authority, the one that really fulfilled the law. He ends this sermon with a call to heed his message. And in fact, he's encouraging people to find their security in him. He is the foundation. He's the rock we stand upon. He's the rock that we bury ourselves in. He's the one that helps us withstand storms whether they are of our own making or coming from the world. 
So as we follow this and we learn to trust and obey Jesus, and we, we really are going to see that we're going to reap a lot of rewards, our house is going to be steady. It's solid. And it will be unshaken by circumstances. It doesn't mean I'm not moved. But I'm not going to be shaken so that I doubt. I won't be shaken by circumstances so that I doubt God's love or I doubt who God is. And I won't be doubting my own value. I might be doubting my judgment sometimes, right? Because I am human. But when I am standing on the rock, when I am really buried there, my foundation is in God, then I don't ever question my value. No matter how mean someone is to me, no matter how abusive they might be, how destructive, how derisive, how uh, I mean, manipulative, how rejecting. If I'm solid in the rock, then I'm going to know that's where my value lies. And this is important because the wise man, right, builds his house on a firm foundation. So we're coming to the end of this segment. So I want you to think about this, the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. And I want you to ask yourself, you know, how much time are you putting into building your life? This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about building your house on the rock. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you for joining me today. And I'm hoping that if you are listening to this live, this is a great way to start your week. And we have really been talking about your best year ever and what to do or undo in your life in order to have a really, really good year. And I will always want to reiterate that a good year, the best year, does not mean perfect and does not always mean happy and fun. But it means life-giving. It means I'm growing. It means I'm changing. I'm becoming a better version of myself. I'm, I'm learning more about the God that has created me. I'm learning more about why I'm here, what I'm supposed to be doing. And learning how to value myself and value others. So we spent the first ha- you know, section of this show on the, the um, version in the Bible of that building your house on the rock. And it's Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. And we read that story. So I want you to think about that this parable really is not about a real person, but it's really probably about a lot of real people, right? And it's comparing, it's doing this analogy of comparing your life to building a flood resistant building that is founded on the solid rock. And that's the life of Jesus. Jesus could not be moved when it came to sin. He could not be moved when it came to being tempted not to hang on a cross. His internal home was built on the solid rock of his father. And, he, and it really stood the test of time. He was perfect in everything he did. He didn't fail. And he loved deeply and changed the world forever. The world is still being changed because of this one man. So I want you to think about this, that when when Jesus says everyone that hears these words of mine and does them is a wise man. And so he built a house on a rock. It didn't fail. 
So anyone who hears these words and doesn't do them is foolish. Now, we've had some shows that I've done on what the Bible says about fools. And um, that is a painful subject. I have people in my life that are fools, and it's extremely painful because it's hard when you love people that are foolish. You have to understand that the hallmark of a fool is a person that does not learn. And so no matter how bad the consequences are, they don't learn, they don't change. They continue in their folly. So one of the famous passages that we find when Jesus talks about even his home, own hometown of Nazareth is when he says, don't, do not cast pearls before swine. Don't give to dogs what is sacred. If you do, they will trample them, turn on you, and tear you to pieces. So this is imperative that you say, I don't want to be a fool. Now, it doesn't mean God doesn't love fools. I'm not saying that fools are going to hell. I'm saying that their lives are highly destructive, and they destroy the lives of the people that love them, unless those people are very careful and have great boundaries. So foolish people struggle with this idea of building a house on a rock because they're the type of person that wants to be on shifting sand. They don't want to commit really to anything. They want to always have some wiggle room that says, yeah, I believe in the Bible and I believe in Jesus. Yes, I'm a Christian, and but he'll forgive me if I do this. Or I've got good intentions while I'm doing this, even though I probably know it's not exactly the right thing to do. I'm trying really hard to be a good person. And there's a lot of, of talk internally that justifies, that supports, that denies what the truth really is. And so when Jesus is talking about a fool, he's saying this fool took the easy way. He didn't go find a rock and have to dig deep into a rock, which is a lot of work. To push pylons, to push anchoring down into bedrock. And so the foolish man said, I don't want to put that much effort into it because I want a house today. I don't want a house one year from now. I want it today. So what did he do? He built it on the sand. Because the sand is really simple to push things down into the sand. That's not hard. And so this is what he's saying is the, the fool didn't put time into his life. He spent the time foolishly that God had given him. Instead of investing the time God gave him on earth to build a life that could withstand the test of time. And you know, we have people that we revere that have been, were alive 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, 100 years ago. But their lives were so solid that we still take information and direction from those lives. So think about this, because the fool, when the rain came and the floods came and the winds blew, it fell to the ground, and it was a great fall. So all of us have done foolish things in our life. We have all been fools at different times, I'm sure. But there's a big difference between living foolishly sometimes, making foolish choices, being lazy, being slothful, not wanting to really commit to anything, hoping, letting everybody else do all the hard work, and having that be your identity, and having that be your ongoing lifestyle. So we know that people that build their house on the sand 
are not safe to live around. Because what if your house lives below them? Well, it slides right off the mountain, right, and lands on your house. So we understand that foolishness doesn't just affect the fool. It affects everyone in their community. So when the parable emphasizes this need to put the words of Jesus into practice, and he, and he talks about these two sorts of people, and these two sorts of people, their hearts were revealed in their actions. Because Matthew's version of this parable, it's a lot more complex in its narrative structure than, than the Gospel of Luke when he was talking about it. And so this is where you want to think about where the rain and the wind and the floods. And this really usually is in, interpreted as the trials of life. And that it, the trials of life can be resisted or endured if I'm founded on the life of Christ. So when the rains and the wind and the floods come, these calamities and afflictions that befall us, false accusations, maybe plots, maybe, you know, we had bereavement, we have deaths, maybe we lost our friends. Whatever is going on in the life, Jesus says, but none of these, none of these ruins the man that has his house built on the rock. And he calls it steadfastness. It's truth. It's his commands. That the stronger you have been intentional about building your house on the rock, the stronger your life is and the stronger you can withstand the storms and the calamities and the grief and the hardships and anything that's painful that comes into your life. So we want to really be focusing on this. What does that look like for you? We're talking me metaphorically. So we're going into our, our, our next break, and we are doing the next half hour. So I want you to be thinking about what, what kind of a rock have I chosen? Did I choose Jesus, and am I trying to change Jesus to fit the foundation that I want to be standing on? Or am I really taking God and Jesus at their word when they talk to me about lifestyle, when they talk to me about how to think, how to act, what to do. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about building your house on the rock. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. If you're just tuning in, thank you so much. And I want to make sure that you all recognize and, and realize that we have these shows on so many podcast servers now. It makes it so much easier for you to find the show and to send it to your friends. So really, whatever podcast server you like the best, make sure you type in Conversations with Cynthia and see if we're on, on there for you. If we're not, please email me. Or get a hold of me through social media and let me know, and we will look at putting those, all these different shows on the podcast server that you're using. So thank you so much for all the support and just showing up in social media. It really um, encourages me, and it's very appreciated. So we're talking today about building your house on the rock, and that is in response to last week's show, where we really talked about the past. And so many times, if you think about building a house, there are some homes that people purchase and they find out, you know, I can't just tear the house down. I've got to gut it. 
right? I've got to put a whole new foundation. So part of last week's show was really talking about really undoing the effect of the past. We can't redo it, but we can undo the effect that it has on our life, thus building a newer, more solid foundation. So when we look at this, excuse me, I have allergies so much here now in Phoenix. So think about this. When Jesus is talking about the steadfastness of his doctrine, the doctrine of a rock, he's saying that in truth, his truth, those commands are stronger than any rock. And they set us up above all the waves of human affairs. And he says, for he who keeps these things strictly will not be taken advantage of by men when they are vexing him. And even if the very devil plots against him. See, we have Job as our witness. He received all the assaults of the devil, and he stood unmovable. The apostles, too, are our witnesses. For when, you know, they really experienced the waves of the world beating against them, especially when Jesus ascended, nations, princes, their own people and strangers and evil spirits, the devil, but they stood on the solid rock, and they are so much a group of men that we can admire and that we can work on modeling our lives around because they really know what it's like to do it, to experience it, and to power through it, and sometimes to let themselves be vulnerable and weak enough to change. So I'm sure you're familiar, maybe, with this very old hymn that I love the words to this hymn, and it's called My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. It was written in 1834. And the reason I like this song is that it says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. The reason this is so powerful is that what Jesus is saying is not only does building your house on the rock give you some safety from the waves and the storms of life, but it gives you hope. See, my hope is built on this, and hope will not disappoint me. So this is really powerful when you realize my hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only trust in Jesus' name. So I want to encourage you today, if you have not taken time to figure out or ask God, what does that mean for me to build my life on solid ground? If you've been a Christian for a long time, are you paying attention to the ground that you're standing on? Are you tending to it? Are you making sure that you're not straying from it and building in other places and hoping that it will withstand the storms? But always going back to the origins, to the framework, to the structure, to the foundation of your life. 
and making sure that you are always anchoring yourself in a firm foundation. So we're coming to the end of this segment. We have one more to go. Thank you for joining me up to this point. I hope you can stay with me for the rest of the hour. If not, you can also go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. And the shows are also on the website. And there's a lot of other things on the website for you to enjoy. Ways to find the books that I've written. And I'm really happy to say I'm coming close to finishing this one that I've been working on for a couple of years now. So I will be really letting you know about that progress. Make sure you join me in the next segment. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt, and I'm your host. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you so much for um, just joining in with me today. And we are talking about building your house on the rock. And that is kind of coming from the last week's show when we talked about undoing your past. And that doesn't mean redoing it. It means really learning from it. And instead of it being slippery sliding sand, right? or feeling like there are a bunch of sinkholes that you don't want to go back there. As we undo the effects of the past, we actually cause the past to be a very strong foundation. It's something that we learn from. It's a lesson that we don't have to keep learning because we're not fools. See, fools do not learn from their folly. So we want to learn from whatever was that in the past as to is that something I want to keep doing, or is that something I don't ever want to do again? So that all of that hardship from the past is not in vain, that there's a reason for it. So I never use my past for condemnation or to beat myself up. My past is, is like different road markers of where I've been, what I've done, who I was, and is that past, am I coming closer to where I'm supposed to be and being more of who God has called me to be, as I learn what doesn't work, right? So I'm going to give you a couple rules that help to live happily. See, as we are building our house on a very firm foundation, one of the ways to keep that foundation firm is to practice some very basic rules that really help solidify that foundation. And this is written by a woman named Lucia Adams. I really liked the way that she has, has put this together. And so... She has really some great thoughts. And the first one is forgive. And one of the things we talked about in undoing your past is self-forgiveness. And, and I know I can speak very personally about this. It's hard to forgive ourselves. It's hard to forgive me. I don't, sometimes don't want to forgive me. I don't think I deserve to be forgiven. I appreciate being forgiven by others and by God. But I sometimes want to withhold forgiveness from myself. And so you have to forgive everything. Because a lack of forgiveness is like termites in the wood. It just eats away at the foundation and the frame of who you are. And so you can look really good from the outside, but inside you start crumbling. And if you've ever dealt with termites, or you've had a slab leak, right? It's really serious. So forgiveness is one of the antidotes for that. 
So you forgive others who have done deliberate wrongs or unconsciously have done something wrong. You forgive injustices. You forgive your past failures and mistakes. And you allow yourself to still care for you and to still value you, even if you don't always like what you do and say. So forgiveness in my daily life, forgiving people that don't even seem to deserve it, right? It's kind of silly when we say that. Who, who deserves to be forgiven, right? But think about that. Who's the person I don't want to forgive? Who's the person that I just go, there is not a chance I'm forgiving that person. And a lot of times it might just be, uh, you know, a, a person that isn't really in your, your, your life all the time, but is a thorn in your flesh. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's, it's, maybe it's a, someone that works for you or does work for you. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a sibling that you don't talk to very often. A parent. Who knows? But it's important to forgive. That really strengthens the foundation and helps your internal home to stand tall and straight and firm. Because forgiveness and the lack of forgiveness will eat away at the foundation of your soul. So we need to love ourselves. Your smile, your accomplishments, whatever, your body, your lo- love you. See, these are things that are very important. How do you feel when people love your children? People love your pets. People love your spouse, right? That's how God feels when you love you and you love others. If you've ever had a child that hates themselves, you know as a parent the pain, the suffering that you feel when the child hates themselves. And is destroying their life because they hate themselves and won't forgive themselves. So even if you don't want to do this for you, do this for God. It gives him great pleasure. And there's a lot of healing that comes in being willing to love, to care for the one that God loves and cares for, which is you. See, you're with yourself 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You're with yourself for eternity. So he's asking you. Until he comes to take you home, he's asking you to care for the one that he loves, which is you. Because you're with you all the time. Think of how you would feel if you had to drop your kid off with somebody that you didn't trust. If you dropped your child off with someone or someone had to babysit or you don't trust your ex-spouse to care for your child the way that you think they should be cared for. How do you feel? Well, that's how God feels when he has to give us to ourselves and he can't trust us. To care about herself. So this is not about this weird self-love. It's not about self-aggrandizing. It's not about you know exploiting ourselves or or pampering ourselves in ways that are are egregious. It's about actually just caring about what God has created, and that's you. So another really important rule: look for God. Look for Him where He is. Look for him when he can still be found. All during your day, look for ways that you see God moving. Give him credit for it. See, I go to work every day, but I really actually work for God. Because that's the job he gave me, and he really is my employer, because he's the one that made the job possible. So even though if I'm working for another company, they might have hired me, Even though I can give credit to a university that educated me, ultimately God is the one that is making the way. 
So he's really my employer in a lot of ways. He's my father, my employer, my best friend, right? So I want to really be doing that unto God, and that helps me then not take people so personally. And it helps me not to get caught up in what's fair or not fair. Like, why did they get a raise and I didn't get a raise? Why are they being treated the way they are, but I'm not being treated with the same deference? If I'm working for God, then it really becomes his problem. And so I'm going to better able trust, be able to trust him in where he takes me and why circumstances occur or why circumstances don't occur. So this other rule that I really like, this is happiness. Everybody wants to be happy. And if you listen to the show that I do on gratitude, gratitude is truly the gateway to happiness. All the things that make us have a happy feeling are temporary. But gratitude keeps happiness going. The more thankful I am, the more grateful I am. And I mean honestly. I don't mean being grateful for things that are just really stupid, right? That I'm going to be thankful that God, like, burned the house down. Well, thank you, God. I know you're doing that for my good. Well, of course he can create a good from it. But God is wanting you to be thankful all day, every day, in what you see him doing in his world and how he's working through you. And when bad things come, you can certainly lament to God. You can pour your heart out to him and be heartbroken over what happened. And you can be grateful that he's with you and that he knows how to walk you through it and walk you out of it. So we want to be honest in our gratitude. We're not just giving flowery words to God or to others. We have genuine gratitude. So think about the people in your life you can be grateful for. Think about what God has done that you can be grateful for. Think about what you have or what you have done that you can be grateful for. So if you listened to last week's show and you've worked really hard on forgiving yourself and learning from the past and really putting it to rest, then you can be grateful to yourself for that. That is a wonderful gift to give yourself, is to reconcile with your past. So on forgiveness, see, we sometimes hold grudges. Sometimes it's just blatant misunderstanding. Sometimes we condemn others and we think that we're right. But you and I both believe that God is forgiving. When does God ever hold a grudge? If God ever, if anyone has the right to hold a grudge, it would be God. So you know God is, is forgiving. So you want to make sure that the truth of who God is transpires in your life and in your actions and in your words and in your thoughts. So I want to end today with um, just a little bit of etiquette lesson because this whole idea that we're talking about, really building your house on the rock, has a lot to do with behaviors. And you are going to be amazed at how strong your house becomes, which is your life, when you are just simply considerate. And so there's, here's 11 old-fashioned etiquette tips. And it really does help you be a classier person, someone that is easier to get along with, someone that does not cause others to stumble. 
someone that's kind of on their game. And we used to teach manners a lot. When I was young, they, we always were taught manners. And people that had manners were people that were revered. They were, they were considered, you know, high-functioning. They were considered elite individuals. They were considered classy people. And we've kind of lost a lot of that. And I'm not saying that we'd be ridiculous and fake or, or stunted and like we're not even real humans. But the whole point of courtesy is because it values the other as well as values yourself. So what's considered to be good manners? What's considered to be rude or poor taste? Now, we did talk about irritating and annoying habits a couple of shows back. And so being well-mannered is really just as important as being smart, being creative, being stylish, anything else. Because it can make or break others' opinions of you and how successful you are going to be able to be, whether you like it or not. So I'm really setting this up so that we can talk at length about this next week, about these 11 just basic courtesies that have been lost in our, in our society. And we're going to also talk about different people in the Bible that had showed some courtesy to Jesus and how courteous Jesus is. And so first impressions really are important. And these, these things can make or break people's opinions of you. And modern technology, it requires its own set of rules, and we've talked some about etiquette with that. But there's also these really old-fashioned etiquette tips that really do help you stand above the rest. Because first impressions really are important. And you shouldn't just practice your best manners only when meeting people for the first time. And you know I've talked about this quite at length. We always have a tendency to give the person that we don't even know, the stranger, more courtesy than we do our spouse or our children. See, courtesy, when I teach this with couples, it revolutionizes their relationship. Courtesy allows you to feel valued. Courtesy allows you to be able to relax. And everyone always walks away feeling better about each other and themselves. So these are some etiquette l rules that have been really through the test of time, and I think you're going to enjoy them. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me next week as we talk about etiquette, being a classy person, really being the best version of you. Join me next week and have a blessed week. Check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com and all the social media we have for you, as well as check out the podcast servers and see if our show's on yours. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot -T com. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah.